Let's pray. God, we thank you once again for this day and we thank you for this season. And God, we thank you for the hope that is found in it, regardless of what our life circumstances are. God, if things are really good right now or if they're really crummy right now or if there's something in between, there is hope that we find in this season because we remember what you did for us 2,000 years ago and it reminds us that you are coming back and that you are going to finish what you started. And so we rest in that this morning, God. I pray that you would fill this space with your spirit. I pray that you would speak to us in this moment. And I pray, God, that we would all, regardless of where we're at in life, I pray that we would feel a joy this morning, a joy that can only come from you. And we pray that in Jesus' name, amen. You don't, you, you don't have to be seated because you already are. Um, uh, some of you will know the scene in Willy Wonka, the first Willy Wonka, uh, when everyone's there to, like no one has seen him for a long time. Uh, everyone is there to see Willy Wonka for the first time. He's gonna take the kids who won, got the golden tickets through his factory uh, and they're all outside the gate and he comes out of the door and he's got a cane and he's walking like this, like, like he's got a, a limp and he walks down the red carpet and then he drops the cane and he takes off his hat and he looks like he's gonna fall and he does a somersault. That's how I wanted to come in this morning. <laughs> but I'm not quite there yet. Uh, I just wanted to say thank you so, so much uh, for your concern, for your emails, for your prayers. Uh, this week, I hurt my back about a month ago. Uh, I kind of blew it up right before Thanksgiving. And uh, over the next couple of weeks, it kind of got slowly and slowly a little bit better. And then last Friday, something happened. And Friday afternoon, uh, I was laying in bed in the fetal position crying, wondering if I would ever walk again. Now, I have the pain tolerance of a four-year-old, so take that with a grain of salt. I take Advil every morning just in case. Uh, but um, it was a lot of pain, and I have a newfound appreciation. I have a newfound sympathy for those of you who have chronic illnesses or chronic pain. Uh, my heart goes out to you because it is miserable. Uh, your prayers have been felt, and I feel so much better than I did a week ago. And so I just want to say thank you so much. I recognize as uh, the pastor, I have a visibility in this church that not many people have. But it is my hope and prayer that each one of you at some point in your lives would feel the love and encouragement and support from your church family that I felt this week uh, from what all of you did, reaching out and, and meals and all of that stuff. And so just, I can't tell you how humbling it was and I can't tell you how much uh, it means. And so thank you. And I just want to single one person out, um, Elder Jason Johnson. Uh, last Friday afternoon, when I'm laying in bed in the fetal position, uh, I sent him a message and I was like, I, I can't stand up, I can't walk. I'm not sure I'm gonna be able to be there on Sunday. Is there any chance that you might be able to preach on short notice? And I think most of you know this, but Jason does not work for the church. He is not compensated by us. He's an elder, uh, but he has a full-time job, not in the church. And so that hit him right about the time he was getting ready to finish his week's work and go home and have a quiet Friday evening and Saturday with his family and just his heart and his kindness to say, I got you. And I don't know what Friday and Saturday looked like for Jason, but I'm sure it wasn't watching TV uh, and hanging out with, with his family. And so I just, I wanna say thank you to Jason for what he did in covering. And, and, and not only covering, but bringing in just an awesome word out of Nehemiah. And I think it was, um, 
I loved it. It was so appropriate that he preached on repentance and confession of sins because today we're going to talk a little bit about John the Baptist and that was his role is, is to call the people to repentance and confession of sins in preparation for the Messiah. So I have no doubt God breathed on that and uh, I just want to say thank you to all of you uh, for this last week. I'm not quite all the way back, but I'm, I'm much better than I was and uh, I'm really grateful. So with that, let's get to today's uh, message. Uh, we're going to continue our Advent series this morning since we're in the season of Advent, and we're going to be back in Luke, Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 56. Uh, 39 to 56, Luke chapter 1. This is what it says. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent empty away. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I haven't always been in ministry. Uh, in college, I studied business and economics, and then I spent the next 11 years uh, working in the business world. I know many of you have heard that story before, and so for all of you who are like starting to roll your eyes and be like, here he goes again, just know I, I got a quota each year of times I got to talk about this, and we're getting to the end of the year, and so I got to fill it. I'm just kidding. Just hang with me. I, I, I'm, I'm, I got a point that I'm going to make uh, in this story. So spent 11 years in business, uh, felt a call to something else. So in 2015, six years ago, when I was 33 years old, uh, my wife and at the time our three kids and I sold our house, moved to the East Coast so that I could go to seminary full time. At first, it was awesome. I had been 10 years in my job. I was ready for a change. I was excited for a new adventure. Uh, I felt like this deep conviction in my soul that this is what I was supposed to be doing. Um, I loved God's word and I was so excited to learn how to study it and interpret it at a deeper level than I ever had. I was excited to learn about what God was doing in the world and how I might be a part of it. But those feelings did not last very long. Pretty quickly, the reality of what had happened began to set in, and uh, we had left a beautiful house around the corner from my parents with uh, community. We had some other families that we were doing life with that are, we may never have friends like those again, and we moved to a place where we didn't know anybody. We moved into this tiny house with a, like, dungeon basement 
where we had to store all of our stuff because it wouldn't fit in the house and it was infested with mice. And every time it rained, it flooded. And I was in my mid-30s and I was back in school with a bunch of people in their mid-20s. And I was like, what is going on? I began to wonder if I'd made the biggest mistake of my life. And I went to a very dark place. Now, now hold that for a second, and then let's step over here. So as some of you who know me well, as people who know me really well would say, uh, I think I'm funny. I'm probably not as funny as I think I am. But I am usually very quick with some kind of wisecrack in generally any situation or circumstance I find myself in. I gained a little bit of a reputation for that while I was at seminary. Uh, I felt like I needed to be the one to bring some, some, levit, some, some lightness to, uh, to, the, to the education and to bring, uh, you know, some humor into the classroom and, like, all these, you know, kids who are, like, melting down because they got an A-, minus, and I'm like, your life will be okay. It's going to be all right. And so I, 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 I tried, I gained a little bit of a reputation in seminary for having some wisecracks. The other thing you need to know about me is, um, and I'm not saying this as, like, you should copy me, but I can also complain with the best of them. If, if there is something negative in a situation, I can find it. Uh, usually, if there's not something negative in a situation, I can still find it. And so you combine those two, right, really quick with a wisecrack, easy for me to see the glass is half empty, and very often that can devolve, again, I'm not saying like I'm proud of this, into just kind of sarcastic, um, acerbic comments that are not helpful and don't build people up. Um, so you see where I'm going with this. Here I am at seminary in a really dark place, a lot of wisecracks coming from me, and, um, and they began to probably be less than funny and, and more like, that wasn't really that funny. You're just in a bad place, man. So one day in Hebrew class, this is the second year of seminary. This was my darkest, darkest time in seminary. Hebrew is one of the hardest classes you have to take in seminary. Um, I was sitting on the back row. There are about five or six of us who were all pretty good friends, and we all sat on the back, very back row of kind of the tiered lecture hall. We called it Murderer's Row. And, and I had this, you know, little um, group of friends around me to listen to all my comments. And so there were a lot of them. And one day in Hebrew, I don't remember what was said. The professor or the TA said something. And uh, I don't remember what I said, but it was some kind of, you know, trying to be funny, but it had probably a little bit cutting. And one of the guys I was sitting with on the back row turns to me, and, and he did not say this. It wasn't like, hey, I need to confront you in the love of Christ. It wasn't, um, hey, man, I really need to talk to you about this. He said it as if he was telling me that the grass is green and the sky is blue. He said, Gary, when I met you, which would have been a year ago at that time, you were this kind, gracious, optimistic, and eager guy. And he goes, and now you are so angry and bitter. And the thing about it was he was right. And that was a problem. That was not a problem because I felt those ways. God does not tell us not to feel feelings of disappointment, frustration, anger, or bitterness. Just read the Psalms and you will see that God understands the human condition. Not only does he understand it, he has put it in his word, and he welcomes us to bring him those emotions. It was not a problem because I felt some kind of way. It was a problem because I was being marked by the way that I felt. It was a problem because when people saw me, they saw things like sarcasm, bitterness, and anger. 
And as a follower of Jesus Christ, I believe that regardless of my life circumstances, those are not the kind of things that should mark me. And if I can expand that out, I think that's true for anyone who calls himself a follower of Jesus Christ. There are certain things that a follower or a disciple of Jesus Christ should be marked by. And my fear is that many of us are not marked by them. My fear is that God's church right now is not marked by the things that followers of Jesus should be marked by. If we all took a field trip right now and and went over to Starbucks around the corner and just started asking people as they come out, uh, what do you think Christians are all about? What do you think their answers would be? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. <laughs> Probably not, right? What, what would their answers be? It would be stuff like divisive, critical, judgmental, hypocritical, tribal, political. Now, some of those would be fair, right? Some of them probably not fair. But I think the point we can, most of us agree on is this. Maybe we're not marked by the things that we should be marked by. And so my question this morning that I want to kind of hang out before all of us before we dive into this text is this. Bringing it a little bit closer to home. What are you marked by? What do people see when they see you? If we could ask your coworkers, what is that person all about? What do you think about when you think about that person? What would they say? If we could ask your friends the same question, what is Gary marked by? What would they say? If we could ask your family, what is Gary marked by? What would they say? I'm curious this morning what we are marked by as followers of Jesus Christ. And here's where I'm going with this. If I could choose one word to summarize the 18 verses that I just read of Mary's visit to Elizabeth and Mary's Magnificat, this is the word that I would choose. Joy. The overwhelming theme running through this passage that we are going to look at today, the one word summary of what it is all about is joy. And listen, for like the last several months, we have spent a lot of time, there have been a lot of messages that I have preached as we've been working through the Gospel of Mark that have been talking about the cost of discipleship, that have been talking about how it's, it's not easy to follow Jesus and it's a call to, to sacrifice and to suffering and to discipline and to laying down our lives and to dying to ourselves. And I just want you to know that's not today's message. Today's message is the other side of the coin. Today's message is just a beautiful, I hope a beautiful reminder that at the heart of this whole thing, at the heart of this whole thing we call Christianity, at the heart of this whole thing about Jesus of Nazareth who came and was born in a manger and died on a cross, at the heart of this whole thing about Yahweh, the God of the Hebrew scriptures, at the heart of the whole thing is joy. It is about joy. It's about sacrifice and suffering and dying to ourselves and and the path less traveled and all those things, absolutely. But at the heart of it all is joy. And we need to be reminded of that today. So we're going to look at three people that we find in these verses that I just read, each of them experiencing amazing joy. We're going to see why they're experiencing that joy and then talk about what that means for us. So the first thing I want us to see when we look at this passage is this. We find joy in God's presence. We find joy in God's presence. 
So if you remember two weeks ago, we talked about the angel's visit to Mary. Gabriel came to Mary, said, you're going to be, conceive a son. He's going to be the son of God. His name is going to be Jesus. We picked that story up midstream, right? Because we, we came in the middle of the first chapter of Luke. And at the, the, before the angel visited Mary, Luke tells us that the angel Gabriel visited somebody else. He visited a priest in Jerusalem in the temple named Zechariah. Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth were very old and they had not been able to have children. And the angel Gabriel told Zechariah, your wife is going to become pregnant and she's going to give birth to a son and his name is going to be John. He's going to be John the Baptist and he is going to call God's people to repentance and to prepare them for the coming of his Messiah. Turns out Mary and Elizabeth are related. Uh, possibly, probably cousins, possibly cousins. We're not sure exactly what the relationship is. But after the angel Gabriel visit Mary, visits Mary, she goes to visit her relative Elizabeth. And that is where we pick up the story today. And what has happened and what we need to know, which is critical for this first point we're talking about, is in the intervening period between when Mary was visited by Gabriel and when she gets to Elizabeth's house, we don't know how long that was, she has conceived Jesus is, Jesus is growing in her womb. And we know that because when she arrives to Elizabeth's house, she enters it. In verse 41, and when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby, the, excuse me, the baby, <laughs> the baby leaped in her womb. And then we get an explanation of why down in verse 44. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. So we know that Elizabeth is six months along. John the Baptist has been six months growing inside of his mother's womb. And when Mary enters into the house, he begins jumping for joy inside of his mother's womb. Why is he doing that? Because he's excited that Mary has come? No, because Mary is carrying God himself in her womb. And when God himself enters into John's presence, he cannot help, even in utero, utero, he cannot help but jumping for joy because he is in the presence of the living God. There is joy in God's presence. Psalm 1611. I think I remember it. I think I could say it, but I'm going to read it just in case. You make known to me, sorry, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So if we are a people who would like some more joy, one of the ways we get filled up with joy is by being in God's presence. When I was a senior in high school, one of the greatest events in the history of Cleveland, Ohio happened. I can hear chuckles even before I say it. You all know, you know me too well. Sarcasm. The Backstreet Boys came to town. The Backstreet Boys came and they did a concert at Gund Arena in downtown Cleveland my senior year in high school. I probably should not admit this, but a friend of mine, her dad had a suite through his company. And so a bunch of us went to that Backstreet Boys concert my senior year in high school in Cleveland, Ohio. Every middle school girl in Eastern Ohio and Western Pennsylvania was at that concert that night. This is now, I don't know if we're like 10, 12 minutes into this sermon. This is now the second thing I've shared that you all are like, I have some serious questions about who you are and, and your, your qualifications for being a pastor. Um, 
I don't remember really very much about that concert, except how many middle school girls were there. And I do remember this. As we walked through the hallways of the arena, every time we would pass a pack of middle school girls, usually with their mothers, I would say loud enough for everyone in that group to hear it, something along the lines of, this is the greatest night of my entire life. (laughs) Remember sarcastic wisecracks, right? And all of the middle school girls would either go like this, yes, 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 or they would just start crying, yes, yes. And the moms usually would laugh or they would start crying too. Here's the deal. Just being in the presence of the Backstreet Boys was enough for all those middle school girls in that arena to forget all the cares, concerns, worries, and difficulties of one of the hardest seasons of their entire life, which is middle school, and to experience simply joy being in their presence. And at the incredible risk of ruining this passage for you for the rest of your lives, (laughs) why was John leaping for joy in his mother's womb? He was saying, this is the greatest night of my entire life because the living God had entered into his presence and he could not help in that moment except to jump for joy. And the same is true for us. We find joy in God's presence. Listen, why do we like to come to this place? I know not everyone, I know not everyone is in here like this is really where I wanna be right now, but I know for a lot of us, There is something special about coming to this place. Why is that? Is it because of the building or the people or the worship or the preaching or some other reason? Those are all good answers. I don't believe they're the ultimate answer. I think the reason that, that our hearts are drawn to gathering in this place is because God's presence is in this place. And... And we experience joy in his presence. And so we feel it when we come here. Even when we, even when we come online, there is a sense of joy because we are gathering in God's presence together. I feel it. Listen, I, I, I try to be very honest with you all. Obviously, I have, you know, the, look, see the last 15 minutes. Many weeks, I get to Friday or Saturday, and if Beth was in here, she would, you know, she would put her hands up and shout me down for this. Many weeks I get to Friday or Saturday, in fact, probably most weeks, and I'm like, this sermon is terrible. I'm not ready for Sunday. I'm stressed about service. I don't know who's gonna, if anyone's going to show up. And then by the time I get here on Sunday morning and I sit down there on the front row and we start to praise God, it's like something switches in me. And I'm like, this is where I want to be. You know what? Even if the sermon's crummy, who cares? Because God's presence is in his house in a special way. And we find joy in God's presence. Now listen, here's the good news. We don't have to wait for Sunday mornings to feel that. Right? We don't have to wait for Sunday morning to be in God's presence and to feel the joy that we feel when we're in his presence. When, can I ask you a question? When you get up in the morning, after you pour a hot drink, hopefully that's coffee, but if it's tea, you know, do your thing. What is the first thing that you reach for? Because if it is your phone, (laughs) and the first thing you're going to in the morning is email, Facebook, Instagram, Apple News, Google News, where we we respect everyone here. 
and you're like, I, I don't feel like I have a lot of joy in my life, I can clear that up for you really quickly. Because those are not joy givers. I would say they're not even neutral. Those things are joy suckers. They take your joy. They don't give you joy. And so we have an opportunity for everyone who has a copy of this book in their possession. And if you don't, we'll give you one today. We have the opportunity every morning or every night or every noontime or all three to sit in God's presence, to read his words to us, the words of God, to talk back to him and know that he is with us and listening to us. We find joy in God's presence and we need it. So may we make wise decisions with what we do with our time and where we spend it because we don't have to wait to come to church to be in his presence. We can jump for joy every morning that we get up because he has revealed himself to us and he inhabits the prayers of his people. So that's the first thing. Uh, we find joy in God's presence. Here's the second thing I want us to see in this passage. We find joy in what God has done for us. We find joy in what God has done for us. And if, that was, if John's joy was at God's presence, it is Elizabeth's joy at God, what God has done for her. Look back with me at the text. So Mary comes into the house, uh, and in verse 42, this is what it says. And she, that's Elizabeth, she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? So Mary, with Jesus growing inside of her womb, comes into Elizabeth's house, and what does Elizabeth do? She starts yelling. Elderly priests' wives did not do a lot of yelling in that culture. She is so overcome with joy that she cannot help exclaiming with a loud cry how happy she is about what God has done for her. Now, to, to get the full sense of that, we need to have just a little bit of an understanding or do our best to have an understanding of what Elizabeth's life was like. We're told in Luke 1.7 that she and Zechariah were old, they were advanced in years, and that Elizabeth was barren. In that culture, for a woman one of, if not the highest successes of her life would be to be able to have children. And so to not be able to have children was a source of incredible shame and guilt and disappointment. Many in that culture saw it as a sign of some sin in your life or at least that you did not have God's blessing or favor on your life. And imagine what that would have felt like for the wife of a priest. So she has spent a lifetime in frustration and disappointment. And as, as, as some of you who have struggled with infertility or are struggling with it now know, it is not something that you just go to your doctor one day, take a test, and then get the diagnosis. And that's with all of the modern medicine that we have right now. So imagine how much more so back then. This would have been a years and years and years long process of descent into disappointment, frustration, and hopelessness. Always a little bit of hope that something might change. How many nights and mornings did she spend on her knees pleading with God that he would do something for her? Every year, no change coming. And now she's gotten to the point in her life where everyone knows it's too late. And yet here comes God onto the scene. And he takes the thing that is the, the, the central source of her greatest shame, frustration, and disappointment, and he turns it on his head. And he turns it into her greatest source of joy. 
God gives Elizabeth a great reversal. Look at what she says in Luke 1.25. Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. God has done for her what she could not do for herself. He has taken the one thing, the major thing, the worst thing in her life, and he has turned it upside down so that it has now become the best thing, and she cannot help but rejoice because of what God has done for her. We find joy in what God has done for us. Several, several weeks ago, it was a Thursday night, um, uh, I was hoping to catch maybe a few moments of the Thursday night football game. And so I turned on the TV. I don't remember who was playing. And one of the networks that evening was doing a live production of the play Annie. And it was what was on when the TV turned on. Uh, and my wife and my two older children were in the room. And so we never got to the football game. The struggle is real. Uh, actually, my kids had never seen uh, Annie. So we just, we just watched a part of it. But many of you will be familiar with the story of Annie, right? Little orphan Annie, who is living in the orphanage. She's hoping that her parents one day will come to get her. Uh, spoiler alert, uh, what she doesn't know is that they have died. And she's living in the orphanage under the cruel and abusive Miss Hannigan. The richest man in America, Oliver Warbucks, wants something that will help his public image. And so he decides to invite an orphan to come live with him for a week. He expects that it will be a boy. It's not. It's a girl. It's his little orphan, Annie. And over the course of that week, uh, Oliver Warbucks falls in love with Annie. And he ends up adopting her and making her his child. She goes from having nothing to having no one to having everything and having someone. She experiences a great reversal, just like Elizabeth experienced a great reversal. And just like anyone in this room or watching online who has made the decision to bow their knee to Jesus Christ to say, I can't do this myself. I need you to do it for me. He has effected in every one of our lives a great reversal. Why do we love stories of great reversals, stories like Annie? Because they point to the great reversal, the greatest reversal that God has done for each of us. Now, I want to say this super clearly in this moment. What I am not saying is that God's promise to you is that he will take whatever it is in your life that you are most frustrated, disappointed, and ashamed about and turn it upside down on its head. He might, but he might not. And the danger of reading a text like this is to look at Elizabeth and say, God did it for her, and so he'll do it for me. Here's the thing. He already has done it for us. We just forget about that sometimes. Because what is worse than infertility? What is worse than a crummy job that you hate? What is, what is worse than a, than a broken relationship or a, or a relationship that is hard? What is worse than, than chronic pain or chronic sickness or chronic illness? It's death. It's death. It is being separated from God. It is being separated from the one who is the source of life, who is the source of our joy. And the promise of his word is that for everyone who says, you are my Lord and Savior, do for me what I cannot do for, your, for myself, is that he has taken you from being blind to now seeing. He has taken you from being lost to now found. He has taken you from being hopeless to hopeful. He has taken you from death to life. 
And so we get worked up about the little things and they're, sometimes they don't feel like little things and we forget that the big thing has already been taken care of. And regardless of what is going on in our lives, I'm getting ahead of myself, we can exude joy because of what God has done for us. Just like Elizabeth, we should be shouting in his presence because he has given us the greatest reversal. So there's, there's, there is joy in his presence. There is joy in what he has done for us. And then the last thing that I want us to see in this text is that there is joy simply in who God is. We find joy in who he is. So Mary and Elizabeth um, have this meeting and um, uh, Mary, starting in verse 46, is so full of joy that she cannot help but break out in song. Now, we don't know if she worked on this on the three or four day journey that it took to get down to Elizabeth's house from where she was. Um, maybe she's freestyling, just you know, spitting bars and making them rhyme as they come to her. But, but catch the image. They're just they're like, John is so joyful and Elizabeth is jo so joyful. And then Mary's like, I gotta sing a song about this because I am so joyful. And now listen, is Mary joyful for the same reason John is? Because she has God's presence, Emmanuel? Absolutely. Is she joyful in the same way that Elizabeth is because of what God has done for her? Absolutely. Read the Magnificat. We're not gonna read the whole thing, but she's talking about what God has done for her. But I just want us to see that underlying both of those things in this song of praise we get in verses 46 to 56, Mary is rejoicing for who God is. A lot of that gets played out in the things that he has done, but the things that God does points to who he is. So let's just go through this quickly. Verse 47, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. God is Savior. Verse 49, he who is mighty. God is a mighty God. Verse 50, and his mercy. God is a God of mercy. Verse 51, he has shown strength. He is a strong God. Verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things. He is a provider. Verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel. God is a God who helps. There is joy. We can find joy simply in knowing God and being known by him. There is joy in who God is. Now, this is the part of the sermon that I spent the most time on trying to prepare because I, as I got to this point, I'm like, how do I possibly paint a picture of this that could actually like give an image of what it means to actually find joy simply, not in for what he does for us, but simply in who he is. And I'm just here to tell you, I failed. I couldn't come up with anything. The best I can do is this. There are people in our lives that we find, we, we get joy simply because they exist. And like I think about my wife, she doesn't have to do anything for me, but I, I, I am joyful simply because she is here. My children, I, like whether they're well-behaved or poorly behaved, whether they get straight A's or flunk out, whether they, whatever, I find joy simply in the fact that I know them, that they are, exist and simply in who they are. But get, catch this, to say that that is like the joy that we get from knowing God is like saying like, see that light? That's like the sun. Like it is in some way, but it doesn't even come close 
to giving you an idea of what the sun is and what it is like. And that is because God is unlike anything or anyone that we will ever encounter in our time working through this life. God is the source of life and he is the source of joy. And he has so condescended to us that he has revealed himself to us that we can know who he is. Not that we can fully know who he is, but we catch a picture, an idea of who he is and there is joy simply in knowing him because he's unlike anything we'll ever encounter. And so here's a, here's a question I want to ask you. Do you feel that? Do you feel that joy? Do you have moments in your life like Mary where you cannot help but, but burst out in song because you are so joyful about who God is. Maybe it's driving down 280. Maybe it's gardening in your backyard. Maybe it's laboring over a spreadsheet for work. Does it ever well up inside of you? I know God and he knows me and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Listen, we talked about this two weeks ago. Mary is not rejoicing in this moment because God has given her health and wealth and prosperity. Like there's some good things happening in her life. But as we talked about two weeks ago, there are some hard things that this is gonna, she's, she's not walking, like it's not sunshine and roses from here on out. But despite those hard circumstances that God has, has brought Mary into, she can still say my soul rejoices in God my Savior because he is more than her circumstances. And that can be true for every single one of us in here this morning. We can have joy regardless of our circumstances simply because of who God is. Listen, if we are looking to our circumstances for joy, we are going to be bitterly disappointed. We are going to ride the joy roller coaster because we all know this. We just don't want to think about it sometimes. Life is seasons. Circumstances come and circumstances go. Life is good and easy and flowing sometimes and it is hard and crushing and depressing sometimes. Thanks, brother. And that's a word for someone today because if you're sitting in a good season of life right now, like I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but you need to recognize it may not be that way the whole way. But there's also someone who's here today or listening online and you're like, this is a really hard season for me. And you need to hear, life is seasons and they change. The way things look right now is not the way they're always going to look necessarily. And if you are looking to your circumstances for your joy, it's not gonna work. But if you are looking to the rock, if you are looking to the one who is unchanging, then we can have joy in any circumstances, any circumstance. Tough job, tough relationship, broken relationship, pain, illness, sickness, disappointment, Hebrew class in the second year of seminary, we can still be marked by joy because we know God. We find joy in God's presence. We find joy in what God has done for us. And we find joy in who God is. Now, as we wrap this up, there's just one more person in this story that we haven't talked about. And who better to complete this message with than talking about Jesus? He was there too. Tiny, tiny baby Jesus growing in his mother Mary's womb. Why did Jesus come and do what he did? To save us from our sins. I mean, that's, that's a good answer. 
But the Bible gives actually another answer for why Jesus came and did what he did. And here's what's interesting. I want to think, here's an interesting way to think about uh, what Jesus did. Uh, I talked about this, I think, a little bit earlier in my prayer. We know that one day, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, right? Because you, you could miss his first coming. You will not miss his second coming. When he comes back, he will come back in such a way that whether you believed in him or not, you will have no choice but to say he is who he says he is. He could have done that the first time. He's God. He could have come in power and glory riding on the clouds with a trumpet blast and in that moment destroyed his enemies and every knee would have bowed and every tongue would have confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord. But he didn't come like that, did he? He came as a tiny, helpless, infant baby. And he didn't live the life of a conquering king. He lived a life of obscurity in a backwater town that no one had ever heard of. And then when he began to reveal himself for who he was, what was his life like then? He moved into the palace and everyone adored him. He was a homeless itinerant preacher who was ridiculed and run out of town most times in most places that he went. All of that ended with him dying on a cross as a murderer or as a, as a dying on a cross, murdered on a cross like a criminal. Why did he do all that? Why did he do it that way? The writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it was for joy. It was for joy. For the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured all of that, that he might make you and I sons and daughters of the living God. So what are you marked by? What do people see when they look at you? What are you marked by? We can be marked by joy in any season, in any circumstance, because we have God's presence, because of what he has done for us, and simply because of who he is. Joy to the world. Let us not just sing it, but let us live it. Let's pray. God, as so often is the case, when I um, have the incredible privilege it is to talk about you and your word, um, I am convicted because I need to hear that message uh, more than anybody. God, it's really easy for us to look at all the things that are wrong, but there are a lot of things that are right. And so I ask that you would give us the ability in this season and every season hereafter to be marked by joy, to exude joy, for people to see that there is something different about those of us who call ourselves your followers, that we find our joy in something different than the world promises or offers. We find our joy in the fact that a little baby was born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago in a stable. And 33 years later, he died on a cross in our place. Thank you for what you have done for us. Thank you for the, the reason for this season. Amidst all of the distractions, may you fill us up with joy that can only come from you. 
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to finish with, a, with just a song of response and continue our worship. But if you're here today and you don't know what that is all about, you don't know God in that way, you haven't experienced the kind of joy that Elizabeth and Mary and John experienced and that I've been talking about, uh, there is no better day than today to make the decision to make Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life. I would love to talk to you about that here. If you're watching online, send us an email, info at ALCF.net. Uh, it is the greatest joy. And there's a bunch of people in this room and online who will testify to that. It is the greatest joy in the world to know God and be known by God. Let's continue with our worship. Would you stand with us? Sing this last song
Uh, we hope to see you here uh, on Christmas Eve at 5 o'clock. But if not, uh, Merry Christmas. Receive the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Until we meet again or until our Savior comes and then forever. Amen. Your love, you're prayed for, and you're sent.